today I shall be talking about how to let go. Letting go is commonly mentioned in the Buddhist circle. We always tell people, we tell each other, we tell ourselves, let go, just let go. And if you understand what that means, if you understand how to, then that's easy. Then just that reminder would help you. It helps a lot. But if you don't know how to, and people tell you let go, let go, let go, your question that comes to your mind is how to let go. It's easy to say let go, but how do you do that? Just like the other word accept, just accept. But I cannot accept, so how to accept? Just accept lah. How? Just accept lah. <laughs> so it goes in circles. Just like let go. How to let go? Just let go. <laughs> I used to tell people, just let go, just let go. But at that time, I didn't really know how to, you know. I have this theory, this concept. If you let go, of course, you know, who doesn't know if you let go, you feel better. That's not a difficult concept to grasp. But how to do that, that's the question. I'd like to start off by saying that if you want to let go, first and foremost, we need to want to let go. If you think that which you are holding on to is so dear, so important, that you can't live without it, something that you need, then it wouldn't be possible, isn't it? So first thing is, you need to want to let go. You need to have that orientation of mind. This is the Sama Sankapa. You know? This is the Nekama Sankapa. The orientation of mind of giving up or determination or resolution or that attitude of letting go. This is basic. This is required. Then only is possible to consider how. Without this basic ingredient, with all the theory in the world, it's not going to work for you. It's just like, if I want to go to KL, I must be wanting that first, right? You give me the best vehicle, a map, and everything. Give me all the technology that is available to get there. Even if you have a, you know, like a Star Trek transporter, ping, you go there. If I don't want to, I wouldn't do it. So that wanting, that orienting of the mind, that determination of the mind, that has to be there. Basic ingredient. Now before I talk about the how, it's also important to know what is it that we are letting go of. If you don't know what we are letting go of, if we get the wrong idea, letting go can sound a bit scary. Like people will think, huh, I have to let go of my wife, I have to let go of my children, I let go of my car. You monks can do it, lah. we cannot do it with lay people. That's the wrong idea of letting go. When we talk about clinging, which is the opposite of letting go, we talk about clinging. What is it that clings? Is it the body that clings or the mind that clings? Hmm? It's the mind that clings, right? So when we talk about clinging to somebody or something, and you think you need to physically let go of them, that's not about the mind, isn't it? It's a physical thing. Unless you're like locked in your hand and now you're clinging like that, or you're clinging on like this, hanging on to something physically, then, of course, this is the letting go, it physically let go. So what we are wanting to let go of is not something that's physical. What they let go of is something that's mental, not physical at all. 
So you can be having this thing without clinging onto it. You're just having it. If it's there, it's fine. If it's not there, it's fine. Having it is not clinging. So it's like, say, are you clinging to your hair? There was one young man who somebody suggested to him, this is a guy who likes his hair a lot. Right? He has this nice hair, he leaves it a little bit long, this guy. So somebody suggested, hey, why don't you go for one of those short-term monkhood, you know, novitiate program. The moment he heard that, the first thing he did was this. <laughs> Holding to his dear hair. <laughs> No, 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 that's not possible. <laughs> Do you think he's holding on, he's clinging on to his hair? Do you think he's clinging on to his hair? What do you think he's clinging on to? It's not the hair that he's clinging on to. Although he may use his hand and then hold on to his hair. What is it that he's clinging on to? The image, the ego, you see, all these things are not physical. Right? what the hair means to him. So now let's look at what the Sutta calls the four clingings. There are four kinds of clinging in the Sutta, and what we want to let go of are just these. First one is Kamupadana, Kama Upadana. Kama is, means sensuality, or sometimes translated as sensual pleasures. Do you cling to sensual pleasures? So, ultimately, it's not about seeing something that's nice, hearing something nice. Of course, that's the basis for it. But ultimately, it's about how good you feel when you get to see or hear or smell or taste or touch or even think of something. But here, I think it's not concerning about the thinking part. It's about these triggers. But then again, in the mind, it's also possible. If you see something and it's, you don't see it anymore, but when you think about it, it's like seeing it again, isn't it? Yeah, there are also research that shows if you were to show something to somebody and uh, see his response to brain activity, and you ask him to think of the same thing without showing that thing, it has a similar response. So it's not about that thing itself, ultimately. It's about the mind. So, because the eyes merely sees colors. It doesn't say man, woman. It doesn't see a tree, a frog. It only sees colors. It's a mind that recognizes it. And it's a mind that enjoys. Not the eyes. The eyes enjoys nothing. <laughs> so ultimately, it's about the mind. It's about the feel good. When you get this, you feel good. So we cling on to these feel goods. And some people even take this to be the purpose of life, is to feel good. If you feel good, a lot of times it means you have a good life. If you don't feel good, you don't have a good life. So the aim becomes this. But this is a big problem. If in life, what we aim for is to feel good, we end up feeling bad a lot of times. Because you will have your standard on how good you should be feeling. And when you get to feel so good, you want to feel even better. And once you get used to that, it's like a drug. Get used to that, then it's nothing anymore. You want something else. After a while, you get bored with this, and there's another thing. So it's endless. And this does not mean only something that's grossly entertaining. It could be something that people would think of as, well, normal, something basic thing that we like. 
Like for example, you like to see somebody. I hear somebody. Somebody's voice. Not necessarily somebody who is really sexy. Could be just someone that you, you like a lot. When my grandmother passed away, before she passed away, I haven't met her for a long time. I haven't seen her for a long time. After becoming a monk, I think I've seen her once or twice, maybe. <laughs> and before she passed away, there's been years before I last saw her. But when I heard the news that she died, I washed my heart to check. And I did find a little bit of sadness there. And I saw a question that, why? Then it came to me that because of the idea, I don't get to see her anymore. I don't get to hear her anymore. I don't get to be with her anymore. Being in contact with her in some way. That causes the sadness. The reality is I haven't been with her for years and I didn't feel anything until I heard the news. Yeah? So it's not about her really. It's still internal. It's still the mind. And I often give the example of you, you like somebody so much and you want to be with that person. When you are with that person, you feel good. You get to see that person, hear that person, touch that person. You feel good about it. But later, perhaps your perception of that person changes. Maybe you have a fight with this person. Or maybe your interest went elsewhere. Not necessarily another person. Your interest is elsewhere. And this person come and tell you something and you find this person a bother. Like, don't catch on me. Don't bother me. I'm, <laughs> I've got something to do. At the time, do you like this person? Yeah. So it's not about the person, isn't it? Think about it. It's about whether or not you like or you don't like. So if, if you like something, you feel good when you see, hear, whatever. If you don't like, you don't feel good. So ultimately, it's not about person. It's all in here. Whatever you want to say, in here or in here. I'm referring to the mind, of course. So we are not trying to let go of people. We're not trying to let go of things. It's not. It's about what those things mean to us. If this belongs to me, you know, and maybe I treasure it a lot, maybe it's been given to me by my mother and she tells me, take good care of it, and I use it every day, I bring it all over the place, and one day it falls and breaks, then I don't feel so good, right? But if you see it fall and break, would you have a problem with it? Because to you, there's no meaning to this. For me, oh, there's so much meaning to this. This means what, 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 what? So when it's gone, I don't feel good. I don't get to see it anymore. I don't get to use it anymore. So when we put a lot of meaning to things, then there will be a lot of likes and dislikes. And whether we like or dislike, it's a clinging. So this is about the clinging to sensuality. And really, it's not about this gross sensual enjoyment only, although that's a big part of it. It can be very subtle things. I'll give you another example. Let's say you have been living with a person for many, many years. You're so close to this person. Perhaps you're married to this person. And one day this person is gone. What would you feel? How would you feel? If you are very attached to this person, what does that mean? It means you want to be able to see this person, hear this person, touch this person, isn't it? And you don't get to do that, and you feel it. But it's more to that. 
Let me go to the second one, which is the clinging to views. Let's say this person died before you think this person should die, or leaves you before you think this person should leave you. Then what you feel would be compounded by whatever views you have about this person, whether this person should be there or not be there. Let's say maybe you've been living with this person and you're like maybe 65 and this person is maybe about around that age. You've been living together for decades and you think you can live on more for maybe at least like 15 years, maybe 20 years. I don't know how long you think you should be living on and that person should be living. And suddenly you wake up in the morning and find this person no longer breathing. You will feel much stronger if you don't expect this person to die so soon, right? If this person has been sick for a while and you have been gotten used to the idea of soon this person will be gone, then when this person dies, you don't feel so strongly, do you? Why? Because of this idea. The idea that this person shouldn't die or this person should die. What do you think about it? These ideas that you hold. Or perhaps this person decides to, well, I don't want to live with you anymore. I like to go do something else or I like somebody else like to file for a divorce. Then perhaps it just hits you. Wait, what happened? We are supposed to grow old together. You're supposed to love me and me only, nobody else. If the reality doesn't meet your idea of how things should be, then you find lots and lots of unhappiness there. You find a lot of conflict. You're arguing with what is happening. And it adds on to that. Do you have clingings to views? Do you? Yeah? Sometimes we don't really know how much clinging to views we have until that view is challenged. Only when it's challenged, you realize, wow, I've been holding on to this view. Views are very subtle. If you are used to having things our way, we don't notice them anymore. It's just like, oh, that's how things are supposed to be, ma. What if somebody suddenly jump up here and strip himself or herself naked and scream? Would that be okay to you? No, no, this is not supposed to happen here. This is a holy, holy place. <laughs> right? <laughs> your reaction will be... So it correlates with your clinging. How much you cling to this idea will correlate with uh, how big the reaction you have for it. At this moment, we are already having clinging. We are clinging to how this thing is supposed to go. We are supposed to sit here and let me finish talking, then you leave. If anything happens out of the ordinary, you won't feel good about it, right? Yeah? Maybe suddenly there's a very loud noise or things like that, and then, then maybe you start to notice you're clinging. Hey, I'm expecting things to be just going just fine, going just smoothly. When you sit down to eat, you already have clingings. Your clinging is likely to be, I will be finished eating this meal quietly. Who knows, maybe halfway, somebody decides to knock off your tray and say, this is my place. How would you feel? Reminds me of one time when I was in Burma. There's this American lady who reported to the Seattle. Said she was walking up and down one place. You know, it's like her walking place for that time. And say, so you would think that, you know, once you have walked up and down a particular lane, it's kind of yours already. Then one lady came from the opposite direction, walking straight towards her. 
and she was at a loss what to do. Then suddenly she realized that she's been clinging to this lane. This is my lane. Right? And she realized that, hmm, that's the wrong view. <laughs> so she stepped out. At first she didn't like it, but once she got the right view, she stepped out, she was okay. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. And when she told this to Seattle and said, yeah, yeah, that's it. You know. Besides, did you buy the lane? <laughs> Even if we have bought something, it's still not ours. Conventionally, we say it's ours, but it's just something that we bought. The law accords the ownership to you, but it's still not yours because it's just a temporary thing. It comes and it goes. But this idea of you know, once I occupy this place and this is mine, my teacher was saying, this is an animal thing, you know, animal instinct. This is mine already. You know, you see dogs, you know. <laughs> they are very territorial. Right? We human beings are like that too. Any temple, any monastery that you go to, you have kitchen politics. You can only have one queen there. You cannot have two. Once another queen steps in, there will be war. <laughs> So one has to go. <laughs> and perhaps that happens at home too. So that's why if a man would have two wives, it's a very hard life at home. <laughs> Not easy, usually. So this clinging to views, this is mine. Of course, this is not just a clinging to view, just a mere view of this mind. There's a strong sense of this me inside there. I'll talk about it later. We have other cling to views, other forms of views that we cling to. Like for example, how things should be done. I don't know about over here, but it seems that I read in the internet there are such clinging as to even how the toilet roll should be placed. Yeah? Whether it should be it's going down this way or it should be turned down the other way. If you come from a family where it comes down from the bottom and you pull the toilet roll from the bottom, you marry somebody who comes from a family whose toilet always comes from the other way, then when you start to live together, you might have an argument over toilet rolls, how it should be placed. And to one person, that's not the right way, this is the right way, you know? And to the other person, no, no, that's not the right way, this is the right way. But actually, it's just a way. <laughs> Either way, you still use the toilet paper. But when you're so used to something, we don't realize that there's a clinging there anymore because you are so used to it. But once it is challenged, ah, then you realize the clinging there. <laughs> and life is full of challenges for you to see this. So whenever you meet with challenges, you start to notice yourself suffering. From a spiritual point of view, you should tell yourself, Oh, great! I'm noticing some there. From a person who doesn't practice, he sees this is a bother, this is suffering, this is no good. Let me try to fix this. So if you really look into your life, you'll find plenty and lots and lots of these clingings. Little, little things, it could be huge things. How things are supposed to be, how this country is supposed to be run, how so-and-so should not be prime minister and whatever. Yeah. I don't mean don't do anything about it, but our clinging really brings misery. So let me talk about the third one. It's just clinging to silabata. Sila, often we understand that to mean precepts, but actually it refers to behavior. 
And vata here, vata is same as vata. It's referring to a duty or an observance. So normally it's translated as clinging to precepts and rituals, something like that. It's been variously translated, but usually it's translated in that way. But I think there's something wrong with that because if we say that's that, it will overlap with the second one, clinging to views. We're talking about I'm clinging to this ritual. That's another view, isn't it? We are supposed to do things this way. This is a ritual to do. We are supposed to behave like this. These are just like any view. So I think maybe there's something not quite accurate there. The way I see it, it's referring to clinging to habits, which is a little bit stronger than views. When we are used to having the toilet roll going this way, and we go to your house and it goes the other way, it's just something jarring. If your mind is clinging, yeah, all your life you've been doing this way, and it's suddenly, oh, these people don't know how to put the toilet rolls. <laughs> because your habit is the other way, and it just sets you off. There's a sense of disorientation when you don't get to do it your own way. Maybe in the morning when you get up, you have your ritual. First I do this, then I do that, do that. If you're clinging so tightly to these rituals, these habits, then if you don't get to do it, you feel something's wrong. You don't get to do that thing. Habits would include a smoking habit. And for a lot of people, it's really, really a habit. Those who just smoke without even consciously thinking. They might find themselves getting up from a seat after a meal, sit down like a cigarette, put it in the mouth. Then they realize it's already in the mouth because it's also automatic. They're not thinking anymore. It's just going along with the motion. The mind has already has its program. It's just going to do, 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 do. So these things are not easy to let go of because it is so unconscious. Habit is much stronger than just mere views. It's like it's in your mind. It's already a program. It's so embedded. So that's why they say habits are so difficult to change. But it doesn't mean that it can't be changed. But it is difficult. There's no doubt. You have your habits? You do? And if you think that these habits are good to maintain, and maybe they are, some habits are, such as the habit of being aware, but there are certain habits that you know it's just not working for you. And you wish you could give it up. First of all, you need to recognize that this is a habit. And you recognize that you are attached to it. And you recognize that it is worth giving it up and you want to. You want to give it up. The okay, next one is called Atavadupadana. Atavada and Upadana. Atavada is made of two words as well. Atta and Vada. And upadana. Atta means self. Vada, I'll leave it alone first. Upadana is the clinging. Self, Vada, clinging. You heard of the term Vada? Oh, it's the same Vada, right? But what does the Vada mean here? It's a noun form of speaking. Or speech. It could mean speech. But it may not mean in that sense too. I quite like what how one monk translated it. This is Ajahn Suchito. He translated it as self-reference. And I think that makes most sense. Reference as in a reference book. You refer to this. How I see that work in this sense of clinging is that you refer to things in relation to yourself. You refer to yourself. This is mine. This is me. I am what? When you talk about 
Okay, let's say the car is mine. There's a self-reference that when you think of that car being yours, you become the owner of that car. There is an I over there. I being the owner. So if anything happens to that car, if the car is gone, <gasps> actually, physically nothing happened to you. Nobody robbed you of anything mentally. You have all your memories and everything. It's something completely, completely, even from a conventional sense, completely external. But I feel very strongly. Because when this car is gone, you're no longer the owner of the car. This idea of being the owner is crumbled. There's one lady who attended one of my courses. She's not married, and she has a niece. As all not married people do, they have a niece or a nephew, they dote on them. Yeah. So she had a niece she uh, liked so much, there's so much affection for her niece. Then when her niece was nine years old, she had a car accident and died. And the body was badly smashed. At that time, she said, it's like my whole world crumbled. Can you see that there's a lot of self-reference there? This being my niece, this is being somebody who's close to me. When you like a person so much, there can be a sense of enmeshment. It's like, you know, we are one, that kind of thing. There's so much of this me involved in this. And definitely, that's where the clinging is. So when you live in that way, and this is taken away, it would really, really feel that your world crumbled. Because this is your world. This is where there's meaning to this world. So when the mind believes in that, and part of this thing is gone, it really feels like this thing is gone. But it's all in the mind, actually. Because the mind believes in it, it feels really, really, really horrible because of the attachment. Now, some people might hear this and say, ah, oh, then we should not be close to anybody. You know, if you are close to anybody, then you stand the risk of having to meet such fate. There's a big difference between loving somebody and being attached to somebody. It's a big, big difference. True love is not attachment. True love doesn't have conditions. For some people, that might seem like, huh, no condition? Then, what kind of love is that? <laughs> because they only know one kind. How do you know if your love towards somebody is conditional or not conditional? Not too difficult to find out. Conditional love causes suffering. Non-conditional one does not. If you find it painful, if you find it a lot very stressful, you can be sure it's very, very conditional. Absolutely. So you just look at your relationship. To the extent that there's a lot of conditions, to that extent there can be a lot of stress. So you just check. Just check. What happens when this person doesn't do what you think this person should do, doesn't meet your standards? You can find out for yourself. When relationship has to do with a lot of conditions, what becomes very obvious is that it's actually very, very selfish. It's about me. If the person leaves, the mind goes, oh, how can I live without you? How can you do this to me? 
there are plenty of songs that goes in along those lines. I'm crazy about you. I need you. I can't live without you. Yeah, that's not real love. That's an obsession. That's attachment. And therefore, there's a lot of pain there. That's why you have so many songs <laughs> along those lines. Because when people are in those pain, they become very melancholic and they write good songs. <laughs> so these are the four things that if you want to undo the clinging, if you want to uncling, these are the things to uncling. It's not about people. You can be living with your parents, your children, your spouse, and not be clinging, or at least not cling so much. Because it's not about having to leave them to uncling. You can leave them and still cling, you know? Right? So it's not, not about them. <laughs> it's all in here. So now how to let go, how to uncling? Since this retreat started, there's been times that people ask me, Pante, how to let go? So first of all, you need to know what are the things to let go of. Is it a view? Then also you need to check if you really want to, really want to let go. Now how to let go? Besides recognizing that which you want to let go of and having wanting to let go, you need to see three things. First thing is gratification. When we cling on to something, there is a gratification to it. If not for this gratification, we wouldn't want to cling. What for cling on to something that brings you so much pain when there's no gratification? You want something. There is something that gratifies you. And maybe there's something that's not really, really worth it. If you really see it, you realize it's not worth it. But if you're not aware of it, then the mind still clings on, it still wants something. One day, after a course that I conducted, one lady emailed to me. And she said, You know, I used to think that I don't like arguing with my husband. Now I realize that I do like to argue with him. Because when I argue with him, I get to say that he's wrong. And I'm the one who's right. He's the one who's causing me all the suffering. I get to be the good person. He's the bad one. And there's a gratification to that. So it can be just that. But it's enough. You know, wanting to be right is a huge thing for many people. Yeah, wanting to be right? Big! <laughs> and that little bit of thing is enough for us to cling on to something. Wanting to be right. Wanting to win. Of course, now we, we speak of the opposite side. We say kiasu. Kiasu actually is ayana. You know, want to win. One day I was telling one lady... Instead of kiasu, we want to kasu, dare to lose, <laughs> dare to fail. <laughs> Never mind, in meditation, you know, don't try too hard. Don't be afraid of losing your awareness. When you're afraid of losing awareness, you lose your awareness. <laughs> so, there's a gratification there. Even when you talk about, you cling to your awareness. One day somebody asked my teacher, is it okay to cling on to awareness? My teacher said, no. <laughs> it's not okay to cling on to anything. Any kind of clinging brings you unhappiness. If the happiness there is there, you don't have to be. It comes naturally. You don't have to be worrying about it. But if the happiness is not there, it's just not there. 
You just have to keep on cultivating. When you get to have what you want, such as in meditation, there's a gratification, right? So like sometimes when you sit and then, wow, things seem so nicely, already. everything seems to be in place, the mind seems very still, nobody's bothering you. Wow, very nice. I want to sit here for a long, long time. How can I maintain this? I remember many, many years ago when I was not yet a monk, I somehow managed to, this was I think my second retreat, somehow managed to come to a very calm state. And wow, once I got a taste of it, I wanted it again. So when I get up and do the walking, I tell myself I've got to walk properly, I've got to be aware and all that. For what purpose? So that I get to sit down and get that again. right? And I was able to, you know, somehow, maybe sometimes not so effectively, sometimes I get it. And once it comes there, I know, oh, okay, this is it already. After this, it's going to go even deeper. And I remember one thought came up to my mind at that time. If anybody disturbed me at this moment, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> Such a strong clinging there, you know, clinging for feel good, you know. This is a good feeling. Yeah? <laughs> now, of course, there's also the idea of this being mine. So there is this gratification. This, oh, this is nice. You don't want to let go of it. Until later on you see that, wow, this is not it. This is still a form of suffering. So clinging. You want to let go of the clinging. You want to be able to notice what is the gratification. And sometimes it's very, very subtle, just a little bit. Then you also look at the other side that is the disadvantage. This may be more obvious to you. Especially when if that clinging has brought you a lot of misery. But look at it again. What does it do to you? Internally, how do you feel? How do you behave when you cling on to this, this idea or this habit or whatever? Make it clear to yourself. Sometimes it's useful to even write it down. You know? This and this and this and this. And you can refer to it at times. So when you see clearly how great is the gratification, really allow yourself to think how great it is and how great is the disadvantage. And you can see, wow, the decision is easy to make. It's really not worth it. Sometimes along my years as a monk, I've been a monk for 13 years now, and there were times in between that I think of disrobing. So I think about, oh, you know, go back to lay life. You don't have to observe so many rules. You get a lot of freedom. You can do whatever you want. Sometimes this comes up. Sometimes stronger than other times. So one time it just became very, very strong. So strong that, and I tried to avert it or ignore it, but it doesn't work. So it keeps coming. So I decided one time to really look at it. Okay, so what do you want? What do you want? So I let it play it out. So okay, so let's say you return to lay life. You get to live the life you want. Maybe have sex. That's a big thing. Then, okay, so after that, you get more. Then, maybe you want more. Then, then I realize, oh, that's not the life that I want. You can just go in and see, really, how great is the gratification? So allow your mind to go there. And to acknowledge the gratification only reaches a certain point. And lay life doesn't come with just the nice part, right? 
It comes in as a big package, right? Yeah. So it comes with the other things. It was clear to me at that time, at that point. Okay, enough. So after that, the desire just went down. <laughs> so because it's very, very clear. So to be clear in your mind, what is the gratification and what are the disadvantages? And then the mind can compare and see if it's worth it. And after that, we also need to understand the freedom or the escape. The escape from this clinging. The real understanding, of course, is when you actually get to escape it. You get to let go of it. But even when you have not yet, it's useful to consider. How would I be without this clinging? What kind of life would I be living without this clinging? Really allow yourself to consider that. Is it worth staying on with clinging compared to that freedom, compared to that letting go of the clinging? So when we ask ourselves these questions, you know, what are the disadvantages, what are the gratifications, how would we like without it? We are asking wise questions. We are asking useful questions. This is part of cultivation too, you are cultivating wisdom. You are using wisdom to cultivate wisdom. Most times, just being aware alone is not enough. Because awareness just does the job of awareness, that's all. It just knows, knows, knows. It takes the component of wisdom to recognize. Awareness can help you to notice, oh, this is like this, and it doesn't grow, yes, because you're not feeding it. But for it to go down, you can actually reduce by just being aware because you're not feeding it. But it doesn't stop it from coming up again. You need to have the wisdom so that it will not arise again. Or at least it would not be that strong compared to the past. In fact, you even need the wisdom to be aware of the right thing. Let's say there's something that you like or don't like very strongly. What do you pay attention to? What should you be aware of? That thing that you like or don't like? No. Yes, you just grow. If you like Brad Pitt a lot, yeah, and you keep looking at pictures of him, and do you think you are going to be free from the desire? That's not going to work. You're going to have his face, his image imprinted in the mind even stronger. If you don't like somebody, do you watch, continue to look at that person? Would your anger reduce or increase that way? You need to have wisdom to know, hey, this is not working. So, it's all here. If you like or dislike something, what we want to look at is like or dislike. We need to have that wisdom to choose the right thing to watch. But if you really, really have that wisdom, naturally you know, because when the mind goes there, you find the defilements increasing and just wisdoms know, hey, that's not the right place, and it turns elsewhere. So these are the things that we need to be aware of. These are the things that we know. The Buddha says that no, you need to know gratification, you need to know the disadvantages, you need to know the escape, you need to know the clingings, the four clingings, you need to know them. If you don't know them, you don't know what you are doing. So that's it. Let me just sum it up. How to let go? First of all, you need to want to let go. 
then you need to know what is it that you're clinging on to. Be specific. If it's a view, as specific as possible. What is it? Then you need to understand the gratification, the, the disadvantages, and the escape. So that's how to let go. And when I talk about understanding, I mean direct understanding, direct seeing. So, any question? Bunti, remember you say about the car, my car got lost. Actual fact, nah, in reality, it doesn't matter the car loss. It's the money you have to come up with. If somebody says, it's okay, I buy a new car for you, wow, <laughs> you know, you don't have to take the money out. Well, we are talking to somebody who has never owned a car. <laughs> of course, different people view a car differently. If a person has a lot of attachment to the car, as me being the owner of the car, let's say I've owned this Bentley, and wow, I'm this, I'm the owner of this Bentley. And if this damn Bentley goes away, of course, you feel pretty bad. Not necessarily because somebody steals it. It may be sometimes come to a point of bankruptcy, and you got to sell it, and you don't even have the money to come up with to buy a new one, right? Because you are selling it off. So, of course, different people would have different reactions. When this car is gone, in your case, would be, wow, then I could give up this money that I have. Then I got to what? Then I could do this, I could do that. And maybe the mind goes, this shouldn't be happening. You know, how come this happens to me? There can be various kinds of clinging, depending on the individual. Same incident, but the effect would depend on how we cling. It could be even be, oh, now I cannot show off my car already. And that's more of like the clinging to this feel good. So it depends. Or perhaps sometimes people are so, they have the habit of driving to work. And then suddenly the car is gone. They have to take a bus. They are not happy about that. Yeah. So it can vary. And perhaps for somebody who has lots and lots of money, but and he likes this particular car, maybe limited edition, you cannot buy anymore. And it gets trashed or it gets stolen. You can't even buy one anymore. It can vary according to the situation and the individual, how you relate to it. You know when people who are, just not mentioned about bankruptcy, when a very, very rich person experience a financial setback, a huge financial setback, and he has to sell his stuff. If he has been clinging very strongly to the idea of being a rich man who has these luxuries, he will feel extremely, extremely miserable. Because I, me, the person who is such, who has this status, who owns this, who people look up to as being a wealthy, so-called successful man, suddenly this image is gone. In that sense, there's a huge eye there. Even if he may still have a lot of money and he can still survive and he has more than enough to survive, maybe even richer than a lot of people, but he feels extremely miserable because that image has been taken away. But actually, it's just an image. It's not even something that's real. With regard to habits, but if we don't observe certain habits, something you might forget Having habits is fine. Clinging to habits is another thing. Yeah? 
Like for example, if you have certain set of things that you do and you find that this way of doing things is very smooth, it makes it easy for you and do it. There's nothing wrong with it. But when the mind clings onto it and says, it should be done this way, that's where it becomes unhappy. That's where the suffering occurs. Even if nobody is disrupting it, when there's clinging, there is fear. There's fear of not being able to do it your way. Anxiety always occurs with clinging. Bante, you mentioned about the clinging to sensual pleasures. Does it also include, like, for example, eating, clinging to eating? Or some like eating disorder? Eating disorder? Example, yeah, like binging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is, oh, okay. is it a kind of clinging? Binging, eating disorder, as I understand, is usually a coping strategy. It is something that we do to avoid feeling something. This occurs to some people who feel very depressed and they use eating to cover it up. It's like some people might use alcohol, some people might use nicotine. So it's just a way to stimulate, overwhelm your sense experience so that you don't notice so much of that. How about, like you mentioned, gambling, drinking, drugs. So are they considered clinging to sensual pleasure or clinging to habit? It can be either way. So if you want to be free from this thing, you need to understand where is it coming from. Uh, for example, if a person is smoking addiction, now what is he clinging on to? Is he liking that nicotine or is he doing this to run away from something? If it's gambling, it's gambling just simply about liking the thrill, the thrill of you know playing when you get the win or you lose that thrill there. Is it about that? Or is the gambling also a way of running away from certain things? You don't want to think about that. So you use this to drag your attention there. So it depends. So if you want to be free, you need to see this whole structure, how this habit, how this activity, what kind of structure is it standing upon. It's still a kind of like craving for them, right? For example, drugs. Sometimes they're craving... Drugs in particular... If it's just merely for the craving of the experience, it should be easier to undo. But if drugs is not just about craving for the experience, it is a way to numb yourself from unhappiness, then that's very difficult. From what I've read, uh, that the experience of drugs, first time it feels really great. You feel a high. Then as times go by, the sense of pleasure is not that important anymore. It is only used as a way to numb yourself from what you don't want to feel. So people who just go on and on and on with it, they find themselves, even if they try to get out to stop, whether it's drugs or it's alcohol or it's cigarettes, even if they try to stop, they might be able to for a while, then until they feel those unhappiness again, that dukkha, vedana, the unhappy feelings again, then they find themselves running back to this because for so long this has sort of saved them from this unhappy feeling. So it's their refuge. So it's more on their coping strategies made because of they are running away from Mm -hmm. certain, probably clinging to views or clinging to habits. That's why it's a coping strategy. Yeah, so if that's the case, then you can't just deal with this addiction to this stuff. You need to see 
why this person is going to this thing. Yeah. And if that thing is not solved, if it's not this, it will be something else. So in other words, clinging to sensual pleasure is more for... Just for the pleasure. That is not very strong. In Among the four, the last one will be the strongest. The self-reference. The essential pleasure, I would think that this is the weakest of all. But can you give an example like what? For example, can be visual, for example, or... What is it? Clinging to sensual pleasure. Yeah, it could ah, be what is seen, what is heard. Wanting to watch a movie, that's a kind of sensual pleasure. Wanting certain food, want to have that stimulation again and again. right? It's like, let's say, durian, some people take it like they're ganja already. Thank you. In terms of how to let go, right? you mentioned about gratification and disadvantage. Do you mean to process the thought in terms of thinking about looking into the gratification versus disadvantages, whether it's worth it? If you see the two clearly, then naturally the mind knows whether or not it's worth it. Actually, the gratification, the wanting to gratify, that is already happening. You know, you're just looking and finding out what is it that you want ultimately. When you get this, what do you get? So usually a lot of the gratification is that that feel good. Feel good, but at the same time feel um, suffer. Yeah, yeah, gaining. yeah. Because yeah. wanting to feel good is dukkha itself. Mm. Because there's no end to it. Escape means escape from the clinging. How? Escape from the craving, the clinging. Yeah. So how to let go? So we just escape from the clinging. The real escape means you actually escape from it. And when you don't have this thing, how would it be? You don't have this clinging. That's you don't have to repeat the pattern anymore. Life changes. It's so much better. But in before you get to do that you can at least contemplate on it. How would it be like? So there's an inspiration. So it's another thought process. Yeah, yes, yes. It's wise. Physically escape. How to physically (laughs) escape? Yeah. Well, the physical thing is useful too. Like for example, let's say you're addicted to something. Simple thing is secrets, right? So you can physically escape by just throwing it away first. You know, your desire goes up and down from time to time. So when you really don't want, you can throw away. When the desire is strong, you can't. I have this uh, monk friend who I met when I was in Burma. He became a monk not too long ago when I met him. After becoming a monk, he was still addicted to cigarettes. And I found out that he was still smoking as a monk. He tries to be uh, careful about it. He goes to the toilet. He does it in the room. But I've got pretty sensitive nose. I can smell it on his robe. And so he can't escape from me. I know that he was smoking. And he said he's trying to quit, he's trying to quit. So he said many times he has tried to quit. He threw it into the waste paper basket. Then later, he got rummaged. <laughs> Take it out from the waste paper basket. So if you really want to give it up, really throw it. And one day he did. He threw it across the wall. Threw it over the wall. Phew! And but when the desire came, he wanted to go over there and get it. <laughs> but it is good to physically do that too, because then it's harder, you know, to get it back. If it's near you, it's very easy. You might have it already in your mouth first before you realize. 
So smoking is his coping strategy. It can be, it can be. I'm not saying it's true for everyone. And some people say that those people who die of smoking, so to speak, those who are chain smokers don't die of smoking so easily. Ironically, it's those that are not chain smokers. In other words, they are smoking as a coping strategy. They are the ones who die first. They are the ones who actually have something that they are running away from. They have more emotional stress. And it's that which kills them. Thank you, Bhante. Bhante. So, how to transcend the attachment love to unconditional love? How to transcend? Hmm. You need to understand both. Especially in the beginning, you need to understand the uh, conditional love. To see that it is painful. It is not happiness. When a person doesn't understand that, a person craves for it, wants more of it, hoping to get what he wants, thinking that if he gets what he wants, he will be happy. So he continues to crave for it. And if he gets a little bit, he clings tightly to it. So, But if he can see somehow that this is painful, this is suffering, then he might be willing to give it up. And the more he can give this up, the more this defilement is not there, then the more the mind can have real love. The way I understand it is that when the mind is free from desire, free from defilements, then real love happens. Naturally that happens. As my teacher says, and I see the same way too, that when the mind is without defilements, the mind falls into the four Brahma-viharas. Metta, Karuna, Murita, Opeka. In English, that would be loving-kindness, compassion, empathetic joy, and equanimity. This is the nature of the mind itself when without defilements. Defilements are visitors, and it renders the mind in unhappy way. It makes the mind confused, it makes the mind wand and agitated and all that. Without this, and naturally, it is in its these peaceful states, these divine states. So if you want to have that, then all you need to do is to be free from that which prevents unconditional love. What prevents unconditional love? And they are the defilements. Okay? The puja, what about the puja that we normally do in a Buddhist temple? Uh-huh. It's also part of the cleaning. Oh, no, no, okay. Let me make it clear. The puja itself is not the clinging. The puja is the puja. Right? It's like eating. Eating is not the clinging. Hmm? View is also not the clinging. The clinging is the clinging. Clinging to view, clinging to sensual pleasures, clinging to habits. When we meditate, we need views, right? You need them. You don't say, no, 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 don't have views. How can you live without views? That's not possible. If you interpret the third one as rituals, uh-huh. because ritual is like part of certain ceremony, correct? Ceremonies can be a habit too. Like somebody gets married, okay, the parents say, okay, when you get married, you must have how many tables? Uh. Every table must have a bottle of wine. You got to get this person to do this ceremony, and okay, you got to be standing here, you got to be standing there, you got to do this first and that. That can be the habitual pattern of the mind too. It has to be done this way. 
it can be some kind of habit too. But when you think of this, somehow for me it's a bit closer to view. Habit is when you don't really think so much already. You kind of just do it. This is what you don't regard of it as a view. This is just how things are supposed to be. This is how things are done. That's it. When you wake up, you do this, this, this. Huh? How come you don't do this one? You're not living the right way. I'm living the right way. This is how it's done. This, 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 that. Right? And we have our rituals and we have our little, little habit. If you watch the way you eat, what you do first. Some people would have to drink a little bit of water first. Some people would have other things. When you go home, what's the first thing that you do? Some people, after they come back from home, I know this guy. The wife said, when he comes straight from home, the first thing that he does is to touch his books. He doesn't touch his wife first, he touches his books first. <laughs> That's his ritual or his habit. He touches <laughs> no reason. I mean, I mean, there is a reason, but that is his habit. Must touch first. <laughs> okay. So, okay, see you later.